This episode of the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast is brought to you by Archipelago Productions' three-part miniseries, Devout and Out. The show follows three LGBTQ individuals who have chosen to become or remain leaders in their respective churches. I've watched through this series twice, and it is easily one of the best series I've seen all year. It's smart, thought-provoking, conversation-launching, funny, heartwarming, and is going to show you a side of Canada you have never seen before. You can watch Devout and Out in Canada on the CBC Gem app or elsewhere in the world on YouTube. Enjoy. After all, there is nothing real outside our perception of reality, is there? If you wish to avoid prosecution, I would advise that you comply with our language laws. This is the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to the RCMP. That's the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. I'm your host today, Becky Shrimpton, and welcome to part two of Hidden Gems of the National Film Board. With me once again from the National Film Board is the English film collection curator, Albert O'Hayon, and we've got two more movies this week, High Grass Circus from 1976 and The Defender from 1988. Both of these movies are hilarious and awesome and so much fun, and you can watch them for free. That's right, taxpayers. This is your money at work on the National Film Board website as well as on YouTube. We've also got them embedded on our website at RCM Pod. Like I said, this is part two. So if you want to go back and listen to part one, where we talk about Totem, the Return of the Gopsgolics poll from 2003 by Gil Cardinal, or 19 Days from 2016 by Asha Syad and Rhoda Syad, you can do that at any time on your favorite podcatcher or on our website. We also still have a Patreon page. Thank you to those of you who have already started supporting us. We really appreciate it, and it helps us create great content like what you're about to listen to. So if you'd like to become a sponsor of the show and get the episodes early, you can do that at Patreon slash RCMPod. Thank you again. I won't delay it anymore. Here is part two of the Hidden Gems of the NFB with Albert O'Hale. Now, let's talk about another film that you selected that does not rely so much on talking heads, but is really like capturing people in the moment. There's lots of action, lots of adventure. High Grass Circus from 1976. You've got uh, Tony Ianzello and Torben Schioler, is I believe how you pronounce their names. This was a treat I had not found before, and it's fascinating. Why did you pick this one, and what's it about? Well, I'm glad you said that you had never, didn't know the film because the whole idea of this podcast is to get people to discover hidden gems, NFB hidden gems. This is a film that uh, I discovered by accident uh, when I, uh, a few years ago, I was uh, looking at the NFB films that had uh, received Oscar nominations and I came across this one. I'm not a big circus person. Circuses don't interest me. Don't talk to me about Cirque du Soleil. I have no interest <laughs> in that. But uh, I, so I, I read the, the synopsis. And I said, oh, boy, a film about a circus. Okay, I'll watch it. You know, it's an Oscar-nominated film. And uh, what a treat. And what I, I love about this film is it's exactly that. We, we are it's a slice of life. It's uh, a few days in the life of this traveling tent circus. And I want 
uh, people who are listening to this podcast understand this is a low, low, low budget circus. This has nothing to do with Cirque du Soleil or any sophisticated circus. This is a tent circus. They go to small towns only because it's a very quaint, uh, low tech circus. And it plays better in small towns where people have less access to entertainment. Uh, so we follow this this uh, circus, the Royal Brothers Circus, uh, in the summer, and they, they set up uh, shop in different towns. In, in this particular case, they're in uh, southern Ontario. And every single day, they have a show. So they every single day, they do a show, pack up the tent, pack everything up, move to the next town, set it up, and do another show, which... To me, the logistics of that are just, my mind is blown. I mean, you see them uh, struggling with uh, several things uh, in uh, in the film. Uh, and it, I mean, as I said, it's a low budget uh, circus. They've got a couple of elephants, they have a hippo, they have a couple of ponies and clowns and a few, uh, a few gymnasts or acrobats, I should say. Uh, and and what I love about the film is, is we see the daily struggle. I mean, there are, it, it's a 24 hour grind and uh, they pick up people to work at the circus along the way. And every morning uh, there are people who have left because they can't handle it. They thought it was going to be a little bit less intense than that. Uh, but it, it's uh, to see the dedication of the people uh, who work at this circus, and they're all doing triple duty, even quadruple duty. I mean, at one point, the fire eater uh, leaves in the middle of the night. He's gone. Next morning, we have to find a new fire eater. So one of the guys who's a clown, well, he decides he'll volunteer. So they give him a five-minute course on how to do fire eating and He's the new fire eater. So I just, I just love that. I think it was great. Uh, and it, it's, it's um, the, the, the film, I should point out, is never condescending towards these people, the, the, towards people who work on the circus. It's, I think the filmmakers were just amazed that this circus was capable, was actually possible to, to have a show every single day, you know, uh, for 100, I think they do, they say 120, 140 shows a, a year, every single day, pack everything up, move to the next town, set it up and, and do a show. I, and I, I think that the filmmakers wanted to show how amazing it was that, that they were able to do this. And, uh, so for me, it's it's a beautiful little slice of life movie, and it's it's a it's a movie that puts a smile on my face. And I know uh, several people I've talked to uh, here at the NFB who I've shown it to, they they had the same reaction. It's a film that puts a smile on your face. Oh, it's absolutely wonderful. I had to watch it twice because it was one of those ones where I'm like, okay, I know I'm missing beautiful little gems and tidbits because no one rants like a carny barker like. <laughs> When, no. when he's going off the rails and he's just like, this is wrong, this is wrong, everybody wants bribes. And you're like, this is this human being is amazing. And you talk yeah. about the ultra-low budgetness of it. They have a tattooed man who just sells pictures of himself and he's barely tattooed by modern barely. standards. Yeah. 
it's, it's fascinating. And I'm like, I wish there was more of this and like more in depth of the actual people and where they came from and how they ended up on the circuit and how things have changed. Because this, this is obviously near the end of the life of this kind of entertainment as television Absolutely. and movies take over more and more. Absolutely. There's a, there's a, uh, a moment in the film. Well, there's a couple of moments in the film that I love. I mean, when they, they arrive in the town and they take the elephants to the local river to, to have a bath. That's <laughs> that wild. Great. That's great. Of course, they need to be bathed. You know, I mean, where are you going to take them? You take them to the local river and they just go in and they're 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 having a grand old time. Uh, there, there's a moment at the end of the film where, where uh, the, uh, the director of the circus talks about uh, the hippo dying in Roster, oh. Saskatchewan, and they dug a hole uh, with a with a backhoe and they put the poor hippo in the hole and they covered it up. I mean, can you imagine a hundred years down the line somebody excavating that? <laughs> what what the heck are uh, you know hippo bones doing here in the middle of the Saskatchewan prairie? <laughs> <laughs> I feel terrible for the for the poor hippo who died along the way, but uh, I mean, what a what a surreal moment, you know? Oh man, I became so emotionally invested in that hippo as soon as I found out the hippo was there. I was like, "Tell me more about the hippo!" And then the brakes fail on the on the hippo truck, and the hippo passes away, and you feel awful. You have that incredible moment. The horse trainer's microphone is on, and you're yeah. hearing what he's saying, and it's vicious telling the ponies yeah. that they're cruising for a bruising that the audience yeah. needs to applaud like the little boogers they are and you're just yes. like whoa they hate yeah. everything well i think i think he was having a bad day oh, i think yeah. that's, that's that's the only way to put it and i think it was it was a bit frustrated with yeah. the way the horses were going i i agree the the little part at the end applaud you little buggers you know, or something. <laughs> i thought that was just great as is happening it's it's slice of life i mean this is what's going on and i love at the end of each show they said uh, you know they say uh, it's the end of the show and you know if audiences were could be paid you'd all be worth a million i just think that i mean it's tacky but it's sweet at the same time you but know it's, so it's I, earnest they don't ever call audiences rubes they're not no, ever there to like take no. advantage of them like no we want to put on the best show we possibly can this is the level exactly. of the show we can put on but this is yes. what we want to do and exactly. and the hustle of the uh, the leader of the circus uh, al stencil watching him this is my favorite moment watching him pitch the show to that group full of lions club members and yes. it's all those bored looking dudes in their yellow vests and the pitch is we've got pretty girls chimps and a 2800 pound hippo yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm like yes. that's the pitch Perfect. that's a great pitch I mean what more do you want you know? exactly uh, for sure for sure and I you know uh, uh, as I said I, I'm not at all interested in the circus it's not something that I find uh, you know entertaining or whatever and but the film uh, and I think I think what works in the film is the human element. And, and you know, you see the, these poor people who are, are working these ridiculous hours and and they're 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 invested. They want to, as you said, they want to put the, on the best show possible. And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter. They're going to they're going to hustle. They're going to bust their butts and it's going to happen. I mean, at one point, they're they're just a, they're like an hour from opening and there's all kinds of problems. And the guy says, no, nah, it's no problem. We're, we're here. We're all open in time. It's, you, know, you know, they've done this so often that it's like, you know, there's no point in stressing out. You know, we're going to open regardless of, of if we're ready 
100% or if we're 80% ready, you know? So uh, a lot of fun. And the filmmaking in this one as well, like they do such a good job of dividing the time between local people and they open it with local local men just standing outside of a business being like, well, the circus doesn't stop here because it goes on to bigger towns like Aurora. And you're like, yeah, huge, yes. huge Aurora. And then uh, the filmmaker asks them, you know, why aren't you working? And it's like, oh, well, it's raining. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's no, so there, there's that, that, those are like another other slice of life moments that are just just precious i mean it's not going on with the circus it's going on with the town but it's uh i, I think that's that's a tribute to the filmmakers i should point out that tony yanzello one of the co-directors uh it was mainly a cameraman in his uh in his career at the nfb so he had he has a uh He's still alive. He has an eye for, for detail. He has an eye for, for you know specific things going on, and you can tell. I mean, the film is beautifully shot, as you said. Uh, it's also uh, the film stock of that era of the early '70s. The color film stock up to like late '70s was incredibly beautiful colors, uh, incredibly realistic colors, and uh, uh, it's really evident in this film. Now, what made this film an Oscar nominee? Well, I I, I don't know. I, I mean, who knows how the Oscar, uh, how, how the Academy picks their their films? But I think it is uh, it's very different film than what you're gonna, you're used to seeing. Very different documentary than what you were used to seeing in the '70s in in the U.S. for sure. American documentaries of the time were a lot more direct and, uh, you know, with a voice of God narration and, you know, a clear story. Here, here we're, we're just kind of, you know, following these people as it goes along. I mean, it, it's a charming film. I think we can't underemphasize that. It's a very charming film. These are people who are, uh, you know, who are uh, doing their best and, and you know, we feel for them. We, we want them to, to, to uh, succeed. So I, I think uh, the Academy saw this and, and said, well, this is, this, is a, uh, this is a film about people. This is a film about, you know, uh, uh, people who are, are living their lives and are trying their absolute best. And it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a heartwarming film. It's a charming film. It will pull, put a smile on your face. I'm sure members of the Academy had the same reaction when, when they saw the film. Well, I looked who the winner was that year, and it was Who Are the DeBolts and Where Did They Get 19 Kids, which is a great okay. title for a film. Um, I, I haven't seen it. It's uh, I watched a little bit of it. It wasn't my slice of life, my cup of tea. Um, okay. And it, uh, it follows a family that had five kids on one side, two kids in another, and then they adopted a bunch of uh, other refugee children and has just kind of grown their, their family uh, foster child-wise. Uh, narrated by Henry Winkler. It also won that year. He was one of the producers, so it's Academy Award winner Henry Winkler. Yeah, so sure. so that's sure. good. Um, so it was interesting to see, all right, that's what won, but this was nominated underneath it. Uh, something that I did find interesting, though, I really like to read the comments on the NFB uh, commentary page underneath the movies. You don't always want to do that on YouTube, but I find the NFB ones are usually pretty insightful and thoughtful, or they have great local flavor in them. This one, though, had a comment of someone who was really genuinely upset about the uh, the treatment of the animals in the film and that it should be taken out of the NFB listings. And all I could think of was, uh, it, it's not a great comparison, but it's the closest I can think of. That would be kind of like taking the N-word out of um, Mark Twain's Huckleberry Finn. Uh, yes. It's very much of a time. It's of a place. It's yes. important to see these things and understand why we don't do that anymore. Yes, I, I agree. I agree. And I think uh, this this brings up a whole uh, discussion about, uh, we've, we've had a lot of issues with some films made in the 1950s 
about uh, indigenous peoples that were they're not flattering to indigenous peoples there's a there's a, a film from 1958 called off to school so uh, we have three uh, short reports on different schools and one of them is you know kids going to school on the boat in bc and and the other one is um i don't remember but one of them is a residential school and this is a film made in 1958 so uh you know everything's presented as lovely and you know and the kids are learning and oh, all this boy. kind of stuff uh and we've had a lot of people complain about the film and and what we've said is it has to be seen in the context of the era and for us we we will not censor our films even if they they are offensive you know at the time they were made they were they are offensive now to audiences now because it's important to show how things were it's important to show the history so that you know we understand where we came from and we can uh you know uh, uh, uh do have different choices now so i think a film like high grass circus where we see the elephants and and the, and the hippo as we already mentioned the poor hippo dies uh it, it that's how that's how the circuses were in those days and uh you know you see less and less of that now and uh that's great uh but this is how it was in 1976 and people went to see that and i think we're we're to we're able to show in this film that this is how it was and uh, we we've we've learned we've grown from that you know and we're not going to be using elephants to to pull trucks out of uh, the mud you know anymore and i think that as we see in the film so it, it's important to put things in their context and in, in this particular case it's a film made 43 years ago uh and this is what this is what was going on at the time and uh, people now will will not do that but we've learned from that you know we've moved we've grown from there yes i agree wholeheartedly and that's something that the point of the nfb is is to show canada in all of its facets and for a very long period of time that was a bunch of white dudes who were just shooting what they wanted to shoot Absolutely. and exactly Absolutely. and then you got studio d i mean there's the, work, the pioneering work of people like jane marsh who eventually left but yeah it's it's i think obviously you guys are much better now with like you've got your your gender parity uh s- systems and protocols in place which are great you're seeing a lot more indigenous film uh, you're seeing a lot more voices come in and <clears throat> this is it's important to have that I think you're right that context of this is how things were this is who made it and you guys do such a great job on the blog of of adding that context it Absolutely. just depends on whether or not people are comfortable with looking at that and seeing that other side and taking the time Yes it's it's uh, it is important to to remember the context and uh, as you said when we write blog posts we try to explain what was going on at the time and why a specific film was made you know not just how it was made and what happened and what how it was uh released and 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 uh, received but why it was made This episode of the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast is brought to you by Archipelago Productions For over 15 years the team at Archipelago have been making groundbreaking and award-winning films television and corporate video for brands like Google Netflix Etsy Time Magazine and the University of Toronto Visit archipelagoproductions.ca to find out how they can help you elevate and execute your next video project.
Now, I want to talk a little bit about the final film, which you chose, which I am so glad you picked because, man, I love this movie. It falls into the same vein of two of my other favorite uh, Canadian uh, NFB documentary films, Devil at Your Heels and uh, Project Grizzly, which uh, I call the doofus with a dream uh, kind of trilogy. (laughs) I love that. I I won't say that because Bob Demert, I believe, is still alive. So I can't really say he's a doofus at this point. And he's still wonderful. And he's doing great work. I saw an article from 2015 where he's still making stuff and building things. Yeah. And uh, his work is clearly advanced seeing the the planes in the in the film versus the planes he's building now. There is a marked growth and difference. Um, why did you pick this one? I, uh, you've talked about how your love of aviation. Yes, well, that that's definitely uh, important. Uh, one of the important reasons. But what I love about the film is uh, the fact that here is someone who has a dream who is going to stop at nothing to achieve his dream and who is faced with unbelievable obstacles along the way, but who just keeps going. And at one point, I don't want to spoil the end of the movie, you know, because he builds this this so-called fighter plane and he's trying to fly it. But he learns from his mistakes and he, uh, you know, he's always trying to better what he's last done, you know. So he's, he's always working on, on different uh, projects. His, his specialty, his, uh, what, what he is well known for is restoring old warplanes. And in the film, he restores a Japanese Zero, which is an extremely complicated process, extremely complicated uh, project. But what's important is... Uh, we never, ever, ever laugh at him or Chris Ball, his assistant. We, uh, the film is extremely respectful. There's some extremely humorous moments where, you know, they're dealing with the limitations of their budget and their, their expertise and their technology, but we never laugh at them. And they are shown to be two incredible guys who have, uh, you know, who, who are, they, they, they're definitely marching to a different beat. You know, there's there's no two ways around that. And uh, and it's great. We celebrate people here here in this particular case, these two men who uh, march to a different beat. Uh, Stephen Lowe, who directed the film, who is Colin Lowe's son, by the way, told me that the film was shown on Channel 4 in the UK and... People loved it on Channel 4, and he was, when I interviewed him in 2009, he was still receiving emails from people who saw it on Channel 4 thanking him for the film. Wow. Imagine that, you know? So um, Stephen Lowe told me that uh, he first found out about Bob Demert, uh, the the man who's building the Defender. He first found out about him in a Globe and Mail article. He saw that Bob Demert was trying to build this fighter plane for next to no money so he was very intrigued with it and he said wow you know this interests me and he he approached Bob Debert and said look I'm interested in doing a documentary on your project but I'm very concerned that it's going to take a long time to to realize and Bob Demert said to him I'm going to have this plane ready in six weeks I think it took eight years. So, <laughs> so uh, St- Stephen Lowe was uh, very patient, and he filmed them, you know, throughout this this time, uh, uh, you know, slowly working on this. And and uh, I once calculated it, it, he was trying to build this fighter plane for about twenty five thousand Canadian dollars, which is, you know, I mean, 
it's a joke. I mean, let's let's be honest. Uh, the CF eighteen twenty five thousand dollars. You might be able to buy the front landing gear for that. You know, <laughs> maybe, maybe if you get a deal from from the the company. So uh, you know, he has he has a uh, a dream. It's it's highly unrealistic dream, obviously, because he wants to build these and and sell five thousand of them to the Canadian Armed Forces that they can use to swamp the enemy. I mean, it, it's very unrealistic, but it makes for a, a fascinating story. And that's that's what it is. It's a it's a great story. We follow this this man who, who is passionate about what he's trying to do. And we follow him for for a period of time. And and we <laughs> were there for the problems and the uh, the failures and for the very occasional triumphs you know yes. there's not too many triumphs and more failures but that's that's what makes it interesting and i think that's uh what is uh is interesting about uh canadian cinema versus uh, safe cinema from the u.s i i once showed this film to to some to staff here and one of the comments from the people was wow this is amazing we've actually made a film about somebody who has a failure you know and, and uh, you know, if, if this was an American film, I mean, you know, they would never show that. You know, they would never show a failure. It'd be like, oh, the guy's going to keep going and he's going to do this. I mean, we, we see him and he continues and, he, and he's always trying to, 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 to one-up the, 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 the design and try different things. But we, we know it's not going to work. You know, we're, it's kind of obvious it's not going to work. But the, 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 uh, the fun is, 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 is the journey. And uh, it's wonderful to see him, uh, you know, trying all these things and, and, to, uh, you know, and, and not giving up. And I think that's, that's a, a, an incredible lesson for people. I think you t- you touched on earlier about that you don't you never really laugh at him. You're sort of like along for the ride with him, um, and you do cheer for him. And I think that's what set th- sets this film apart from Devil at Your Heels or uh, Project Grizzly is that Bob Demert has this level of self-awareness that he's on yep. a bit of a tilting at windmills sort of uh, oh, yeah. sort of journey whereas Ken Carter you're laughing at the showman in him who was just like relentless and he's going to get yeah. it done no matter what and Troy yeah. Herdebees again who unfortunately the way he passed away is horrific um, he had that same like we're going to do these big accomplishments but never had that same self-awareness of like I know what I'm doing is a little bit silly yes yes and um, uh, Stephen Lowe told me uh, that Bob Demert was very much aware of the humor in the situation. You know, he comes off in the film, Bob Demert comes off in the film as a very serious guy and everything. But Stephen Lowe said he had a very ex- a very good sense of humor and he could see, it was, it's obvious there's a lot of humor. I mean, you know, when, when he mounts the wing design on the back of a pickup <laughs> truck and it's attached to two bathroom scales, I mean, the guy's working with limited means here you know and he's going to use whatever he can to to you know to to kind of advance this but you you can't help but laugh i mean that's a hilarious bathroom scales you know that's not what they're meant for you know (laughs) yes they're so well calibrated well they're so well exactly you know uh so you know he and bob demert was was very much aware of that and uh and that and that's great i mean you could tell he you know he he's a couple of times very very serious but you know, uh, Stephen Lowe said he 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 knew. You know, there, there's there's a lot of humor in this situation. And you know, I mean, he's trying to build a fighter plane for twenty five thousand dollars for God's sakes. I mean, you know, <laughs> it, 
It's doomed to failure. And it never feels mean, but there's moments where like his passion shines through, like when he's yelling at the um the people from the Canadian uh flight agency trying yes. to get the, the permits to fly, and he's just going off about how there can't be a parachute because there's no way to get out of the plane, and they just Stephen Lowe beautifully just pans over to the two guys behind the desk with just these blank looks on their faces of like, okay, you know, I love yep. that moment. I'm like, wow, but his passion of like you don't understand what I'm trying to do here it's yeah. it's a rage against institutions that's very punk rock yes very much so uh, i i mean that's a great moment for sure uh i the part of the film that i enjoy the most i think is the restoration of the zero because i mean he that's his specialty and i mean he pulls it off and it is a bloody miracle that he pulled it off because you know he uh when he he comes into contact with the confederate air force and they want to buy the uh, a Japanese zero. They want him. To, he says he has one, and uh, he's supposed to deliver it in perfect flying condition. And I mean, when the narrator says, "Well, he has a zero, but it's not quite in perfect flying <laughs> condition," and they pull out this little piece of metal, you know, I mean, it looks like half of a wing and part of a fuselage. I mean, it's it's a piece of metal. I mean, it's a piece of junk. You have to rebuild the entire wing system, you know. I mean, it, it's this. It's this humongous project. Most of us would have given up, you know, in, in a, a project of this this size and this this scope. Uh, most of us would have said, there's no way we're going to do this. But he perseveres and he keeps doing it and he actually builds his, uh, rebuilds his zero and he gets it to fly. And that, that to me is a beautiful moment. I mean, the look on his face when they do the test flight of the zero is, is beautiful. I mean, he is just like a, the proudest man in the world, you know, and Chris Ball too, his assistant is, is, uh, is so excited. You can see that, you know, it's, it's been a long, long journey, <laughs> but it's paid off. They got the zero to fly. Now, well, if only they could get the defender to fly, that'd be a different story. <laughs> well, this speaks to the beauty of Stephen Lowe's uh, filming of this, because you get the big, grand uh, visions of the, the planes flying and what they do in the air and, and what they look like. And then you also get these moments of intimacy where you're seeing the people's faces. And he went on yes. to do a whole bunch of stuff for IMAX. Yes, yes. And uh, uh, he's worked for, uh, he's made films for NASA, IMAX films. I when I talked to him, I, I remember this vividly. I called him and, and I did the interview with him. And we were, we were having a great interview. And, and at one point he says to me, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm getting another call. It's from the U.S. Air Force. I'm going to have to let you go. <laughs> yeah, okay, I, I get it. Uh, I have no problem with that, you know. So he's he's worked. Uh, he's a big aviation uh, man, a fan as well. You know, he made, at the NFB, he made the film on The Challenger, which is a, oh. another great film that uh, I, I suggest to, to people. Because that's what, what as, as an aviation person, you... you don't want to bore people with just the aviation part of it. So what he did in in the Challenger is he talked about the project and the fact that it's a, uh, and he focused on the people and the, the chief designer of the Challenger and it's uh, it's a beautiful film. The, the chief designer was a man who was close to death at one point and uh, he they went to see him in hospital and they said, well, we want to build this new plane at, uh, at Canadair, which is now Bombardier, and uh, we need you to come back. And he came back in a wheelchair and he, he did it and, you know, he lived to see the, the plane take off. So I think uh, Stephen Lowe very much understands that, uh, you know, the, the, the technology is fun and it's exciting, it's interesting, but it's the people that count and it's that's what makes the film. And this this particular film, that's that's the beauty of the film. Bob Demert and Chris Ball are two incredible characters and uh, 
they're 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 genuine people. They're not they're not phony. They're 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 trying their best. Uh, I mean, we were talking about the uh, high grass circus trying their best. Here are two guys who are trying their best again. You know, uh, and uh, sometimes they're 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 managing. Sometimes they're not. But you know, that's what makes a beautiful story. That's what makes a great story. Something I really love about this that I wish they'd turn the camera just for a moment and talk to his wife because you see the moment where he has built a swimming pool in his living room because his kids got hot and and that shot is insane and then they talk about the the wife and you're like okay who could possibly put up with this who would deal with this and they're like oh she's a pilot in her own right she's a skydiver she does all the things i'm like i want to talk to her tell me about this woman she sounds incredible yes oh she uh she's she appears a couple of times in the film not not i i agree it would have been nice to see her a little bit more to hear a little bit more from her but i i I think uh uh, you know, all, all the moments where, where she speaks about one point he had tried this aircraft and it crashed and she said, uh, you know, she wasn't even sure she was going to find them alive, yeah. you know. I mean, and she says it's so deadpan too, which is great, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, I got, I got there and uh, he came out and he was bleeding all over his head. And, you know, everything's like, it's like, I, I think she's so used to his, uh, all his, uh, his shenanigans, let's just call them, you know, I think it's just this kind of blase. Now, oh, yeah, okay, it's just another airplane. Yeah, so uh, I agree. She was, she's, she's an interesting character. I like also the fact that uh, they get uh, a lot of uh, reaction from local people from Carmen, Manitoba, who speak, people who go to her salon, you know, who speak about, well, you know, we're, we're curious about this airplane, you know, do you think it's going to fly? <laughs> so it, it's kind of a topic of conversation. So I think that's great. They gave a, a voice to some of the, the locals to talk about this, uh, th- this plane. Exactly. And I think this is, again, what the NFB is very good at, uh, is having the, the, the government funding so you have the patience to be able to follow this guy for six years. Like yes. uh, the Ken Carter story took five yes. years to film, and they were yes. supposed to do that in, what, three months? And yeah. because of funding, they were able to be like, all right, we're still here. He's going to try again. Let's go. Well, can you imagine the Ken Carter film, oh. uh, Devil at Your Heels, if, if they had only shot for three months? It would yeah. have been a useless film. I mean, it, it would have been interesting. The, the the beauty of that story is that it takes five years yeah. to get it done. And all the craziness he, he goes through, all the different sponsors he has to, has to get through. Uh, you know, and uh, the, the the trouble of building that that ramp and everything. So th- that's the story. The story is the journey. It's not the 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 end. You know, it's the journey. And uh, I think in the case of the defender, it's the same thing. It's the journey. It's it's the 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 obstacles. That's what makes the story interesting. And you know, the fact that these two men are are trying mainly Bob Demert, of course, but uh, Chris Ball as well. That they're 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 just trying this. They're trying to do something different. You know, they're trying to build. A, a fighter plane you know it's not gonna work uh, fighter planes cost millions and millions <laughs> of dollars they cost billions of dollars to design and to get off the drawing board you're it's not gonna happen with your few tools in your workshop you know but that's what makes the story interesting and and worth watching we're at the end of our time thank you so much uh do you have any quick things that you want our listeners to check out i know we just had the limit of the four uh well i just want people to go to nfb.ca we have over four thousand films available free for people to watch uh just go in there have a good time we have channels uh, thematic channels we have 
every day there's a new featured film. We have, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff, and there's there's for everybody's taste. You know, if if the if aviation doesn't interest you and the story of the defender doesn't interest you, I'm sure you'll find something. And it's uh, it's all films about Canada, about Canadians, about uh, you know this great country we have, and uh, 